constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. We like that. You like that. That is a career render. Just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. everybody, this is the Beyond the Game program coming to you from the BTG studio in Rochester, New York. Sports talk without the trash talk. I'm Rick Benson. With me, as always, is Zach Barletta. BTGprogram.com or at BTGprogram is where to find us. Zach, I don't know what you think about this, but it seems to me that Jimmy Garoppolo is ruining the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, look, he's played well. And sure, what are the Niners, like 4-0 and since he took over? Yeah. They've beaten some pretty good teams, I'll admit, along the way. Teams like Houston, Tennessee, Jacksonville, and though they're obviously not going to make this year's playoffs, they are having a little bit of say on who does make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But at one point this season, you probably recall, we were talking about whether or not the Niners would use their high draft choice because they were going to get a number one or maybe a number two pick. Would they use that on a quarterback, or were they going to go out and sign Kirk Cousins? Mm -hmm. They were certainly going to be in the top five. Heck, ESPN's, what do they call it, that football index, football power index or something, at one point gave them a 95% chance to finish with a pick in the top five. And you know how ESPN loves those percentages. They give percentages on everything. (laughs) But they gave them a 95% chance. But then Jimmy Garoppolo happened. And he has ruined it. Since he took over the starting job, the team's potential draft position has continued to drop. Currently, they're sitting with the number eight pick. And depending on the outcome of this weekend's games, it's possible they could even fall out of the 10. Thanks a lot, Garoppolo. Obviously, I'm being silly. But the 49ers seem to get more and more confident with Garoppolo every week. He's playing terrific, don't you think? He's played fantastic. and. He looks like a veteran quarterback back there. He makes the smart play. He finds open receivers. I watched their their game against Jacksonville this week. And for one thing, that was just a fun, crazy football game. But he makes the guys around him who are not very good look pretty good. Yeah, you can see why New England was so reluctant to give him up. And speaking of 49ers, or at least former 49ers, Former Niner and former Buffalo Bill, of course, Terrell Owens, has not played in seven years. And apparently, it's because he's being blacklisted like yet another 49er, Colin Kaepernick. He told, Terrell Owens, that is, told TMZ Sports this past week that they know I can play. By the way, Owens is 44 years old. Owens compared his situation to that of Kaepernick, who he also believes is being blacklisted by NFL executives. He calls it politics. I don't want to make this another Kaepernick segment. I still contend that Kaepernick is, you know, Zach, I don't think he's a starting quarterback level NFL player. But while he has the skills to be a backup somewhere, I just don't think teams want that much media attention, that many distractions around their backup. I just Mm -hmm. don't think, think he's a starter. 
And there are plenty of other backups available that come with much fewer distractions. But for crying out loud, when it comes to Owens, as I said, he hasn't played in seven years. He's 44 years old. It might be time for the man to move on, to suggest that teams know I can play. What they know is you haven't played in seven years and you're 44 years old. And Owens' distractions are much different than Kaepernick's. Mm -hmm. Owens has this tendency to fight with teammates. He has this tendency to divide locker rooms. But, yeah, I'm sure he's being blacklisted. (laughs) And you know what New Year's means to me, Zach? It means that the baseball offseason is halfway over. Mm -hmm. Spring training is not that far off. Yeah, I, I love sports in general. But as you know, I'm a baseball guy. In fact, this is a good opportunity to tell you about a podcast I listened to, and I know you did as well. Justin Dillard, who coaches the local Rochester Richmond baseball team, does something called the Complete Game Podcast. And man, it's really good. In their last episode, they talked about the movie Field of Dreams, and they made some pretty terrific spiritual applications, which of course is exactly what I'm into. Sports. And faith. I enjoy listening to solid biblical application, and I thought they did a great job. If you want to check it out for yourselves, visit CompleteGameMinistries.org. You can find the podcast link there on the page, but once again, the website is CompleteGameMinistries.org. Anyway, that's just a little side note. Right? What I really wanted to bring up in regards to the hot stove season is, how did the St. Louis Cardinals obtain Marcelo Zona from the Miami Marlins and it have gotten practically no attention, at mm-hmm. least that I noticed. Is it my imagination, or did this thing just sort of go by without a whole lot of fanfare? No, it came and went, and it got a little bit of attention when it happened. But I think people were sort of um, moving on to the next big thing. And, you know, people were piling on the Marlins for the Stanton trade. And I think it wasn't quite as easy to pile on them for the Ozuna trade because they did get one of St. Louis's top prospects back. They didn't get enough for Ozuna, but they did get an actual legitimate prospect in Sandy Alcantara. So I think it wasn't as easy to make fun of, so people just kind of moved on from it. The guy hit 37 home runs last year, Mm -hmm. drove in 128 RBI, batted 312, and nobody's talking about it. This is a big deal. I know moving Giancarlo Stanton was big news, but so is trading Ozuna. The Cardinals added a couple of other nice pieces, too, by the way. And while they may not be blockbusters, they address needs. They they, they certainly fill holes. They added the Lizard King, that guy who, uh, what's his name, Miles Mikolas? Is that how you say it? Yeah, I think so. He was a starting pitcher. And I only know the guy for the same reason probably you do. He's a mediocre pitcher in the majors, but he went 33-13 and in Japan. He's probably best known for eating a live lizard while in the bullpen during an Arizona Fall League game, but he's a nice piece. Uh, You know, again, this is Japan, but he went 33-13 and there. They also added Luke Gregerson, who just helped Houston win a World Series as a reliever. I don't think the Cubs are a lock any longer in the NL Central. I think they're going to be a legitimate contender. Um, the Cubs still look like the favorite. The Brewers are maybe one starting pitcher away from being in that conversation. But the Cardinals have really shored them their roster up. They might not be done. I think if you if Mike Moustakis becomes willing to take a big one-year contract, sort of a pillow deal, I think you see them in the mix for Mike Moustakis, who would look really nice in the middle of that lineup. So, 
yeah, I don't think you can rule the Cardinals out at all. That's going to be a fun division to watch. I'm not sure what hotel chain it is or if it's one of those travel websites, but you've seen those Captain Obvious commercials, right? Mm-hmm. They're mildly humorous. And maybe I just haven't noticed it, but I haven't seen one in a while. And I kind of wonder is maybe they don't have an agreement or the agreement they had with the guy who played Captain Obvious. Perhaps that expired. But if they need a new Captain Obvious, I nominate Detroit Lions head coach Jim Caldwell. <laughs> the Lions are 8-7. and seven. They're officially out of playoff contention. Caldwell says, quote, we're just a little bit above average and a little bit above average is not good enough. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Breaking news. He's referencing the fact that they've outscored their opponents by just 10 points this season. This coming only one year. Last year, they were kind of in a similar situation. They gave up 12 more points than they scored. So clearly the Lions keep a pretty even point differential. After stating that being above average is not good enough, Caldwell also said that, quote, there's no bowl games in this league, and so we got to get better we got to get better in every area. Did you know though there's no bowl games in the NFL? Thanks to the new Captain Obvious, you do now. I could think of one. Oh yeah, there is a bowl <laughs> game, isn't there? <laughs> but wait, there's more. He says it's a team sport and there's not anything that we just absolutely excelled at, I think, across the board. Yes, Virginia, football is a team sport. And of course, I'm just kind of picking on Jim Caldwell a little bit. But you know, it, it got me to thinking, it's hard to really know what to say when it comes to the Lions. I keep waiting for this team to break out. And for mm-hmm. a few seasons now, it seemed like they were right on the edge of being really good. But then they're not. Then they're the Lions, you know? Yeah. They went 11-5 in his first season, which is probably where all the optimism originates and Mm -hmm. but they're just 35 and 28 overall under Caldwell averaging eight and a half wins a season is exactly what he says they are slightly above average and I can't understand it because you know the Tigers have known success the Red Wings certainly have known success the Pistons have known success so it's been a little while the Lions really haven't at least not in the modern era of football, you can go back to the old classic NFL, uh, the 50s and the 40s, mm. but Detroit is a yeah. great sports town. It wasn't that long ago that the Lions were the first winless team in history. It wasn't. Man, they're right on the edge, but they just don't get get it done. It'd be great if the Lions could get over the hump, but they just don't seem to do it. It is New Year's weekend, and coming up on today's program, we'll look back on the good, the bad, and even the ugly in sports during 2017. Zach has a fresh set of shenanigans statements. And of course, we're going to tell you what it is that we like this week. I'm Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. 
Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Benson and Barletta taking you through the hour here on the Beyond the Game program. Sports talk without the trash talk. One of the segments we love to do is called Good, Bad, and Ugly. It's really just a power rankings of sorts, but we go only as far as the top three. But in Good, Bad, and Ugly, we give you our top three along with our bottom three, obviously the good and the bad, but then we give you an ugly. Usually our worst from the week, but for this segment, we're going to call it the ugliest sports story of the year from a faith-based perspective. We did this segment last week, and while my son and I were on our way back from picking some things up, I think we went to Lowe's, and the show came on the radio, Zach, while we were in, in transport, and he was critical of how often we played the sound clip, which, by the way, I think is the reason we do this segment. I was going to say, place. yeah, we just do the segment so we can play that sound a bunch of times. I love my son, obviously, but I thought about pulling over and making him walk home from there. <laughs> I didn't, though. Instead, I told him the rest of the ride home was going to be a Christmas present. <laughs> Count it, kid. This week's topic for Good, Bad, and Ugly is in honor of the changing of the calendar as we look back on 2017 and we give you what in our opinions were the best and worst sports stories of the year as well as what we thought was the ugliest moment in sports so let's start with the bad zach and we'll go from number three to number one i'll 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 go ahead and lead off my number three the worst job the worst story my third worst story Russia is banned from the Winter Olympics Mm -hmm. for the doping scheme. Now, this is a bad job by the Russian Olympic leaders. and It just totally screws their honest athletes who worked hard, if they have some, which I'm sure they do, if they had worked hard to accomplish their dream representing their country on the biggest stage. The doping is rumored to have gone on for years, but it's in direct response to their actions at the 2014 Sochi Games. My understanding is that athletes will still be able to compete, but they'll compete under a neutral flag and will be referred to as Olympic athletes from Russia. Now, in the past, they were known only as independent Olympic athletes. So I'm I'm not sure adding the from Russia is really fair, but 
all the same, it's it's just a bad job of sportsmanship by the Russians. The Russians being mm-hmm. eliminated or being banned from the Winter Olympics this year is my third worst sports story of the year. Zach, give me a bad sports story. My number three bad sports story for the year is the NFL season. Because this whole NFL season has just been marred with all kinds of negative publicity. It began with the anthem protests, uh, websites like ESPN running lists every week of all the players who didn't stand for the anthem. You have ended the season now with weekly controversy over the catch rule. What is and isn't a catch? Are the Patriots getting extra help multiple times all year long? In the middle, you had the season-long saga of the Ezekiel Elliott suspension. You had injuries to superstar players like David Johnson, Aaron Rodgers, and Antonio Brown. There just haven't been a lot of good stories out of football this year. So my number three bad story for the year is the NFL season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. This has been a tough year for the NFL. Moving to number two, my second worst story of the year. The Atlanta Falcons lose the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the Patriots. It's an equally great job by them playing until the final whistle, but the Falcons blew a 28-3 lead. They had a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter, only to fumble on their own 25-yard line in the process of choking it all away. Again, good job by the Patriots. I want to be fair, but it's hard to imagine a worse job by anyone than tossing up the Super Bowl like a cat would a hairball. (laughs) Yet, for me... There is there is one more that I think is worse, but number two for me is Atlanta Falcons losing the Super Bowl. Number two for me, the Tennessee Volunteers coaching search for their yeah. football coach. They fire Butch Jones after a string of just dismal performances, just getting blown out. Then they hire Greg Schiano, and they very quickly unhire Greg Schiano mm-hmm. after a severe public backlash. Several coaches refuse to even interview for the job. Finally, they fire their athletic director, replace him, and finally they're able to hire Alabama defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt as their head coach, who is probably, what, their ninth or tenth choice for the job? Yeah, that that was a fiasco. The worst sports story of the year for me, the United States men's soccer team fails Mm. to qualify for the World Cup. By the way, four-time champion Italy does too, but that's their problem. (laughs) <laughs> the elimination loss came to Trinidad and Tobago, and I mean no disrespect, truly. I mean no disrespect, but come on. It's not like they were playing Brazil, Germany, or another soccer power. This was Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, I Just, don't give a rip about soccer, and even I know they're not exactly a powerhouse team. This is so bad for the U.S., for a country who has claimed to be up and coming in soccer for years and for even longer, telling me and others how soccer was eventually going to take over in America. That loss is so bad for American soccer that it sets it back 30 years, which almost takes you to 1986 when they last missed a World Cup Finals. But hey, like I said, at least they aren't Italians who actually take the game seriously. (laughs) My number one story is one that you already mentioned. My number one bad story of the year, the Falcons blowing that 28-3 to lead in the Super Bowl. I think it might have even been worse to me than it was to you as a Bills fan to watch a team blowing the doors off the Patriots and then just see the tide in that game turn and the Patriots are coming back and getting closer and closer. And I'm like, no, Falcons, we've seen this before. What are you doing? 
and then to ultimately just completely choke that game away. And like you said, props to the Patriots. They stuck in, they stuck around. They didn't give up. They won the game fair and square, but boy, was that tough to watch. Yeah, see, Bills fans love to watch the Patriots lose. A lot of America likes to watch the Mm -hmm. Patriots lose. And I think I've said this to you last week, as a Giants fan, I don't mind the Patriots so much. You know, my my team can beat them. <laughs> okay, we got the bad out of the way. Let's let's move on to the good. This is really where we want to where we want to go to. My third best sports story of the year is the University of Iowa football fans. If you're not aware, there's a children's hospital right next to the stadium where the Hawkeyes play. And the upper floors of the hospital are able to see into the stadium. And this this year, fans did something I think is so cool. It's starting what I hope becomes a new tradition there, and I, I think it has been throughout the season. After the first quarter, all the fans in the stadium turn around and wave to those kids watching the football game from That's the so hospital. Cool. In fact, earlier this week was the pinstripe bowl game from Yankee Stadium, and Iowa was playing uh, Boston College. And after the first quarter, even though they couldn't see it, the fans, all the Iowa fans, were waving because the kids in the hospital were watching on TV. That's really awesome. Yeah, that is so cool. That's my third best sports story of the year. My third best sports story of the year also involves children. It's Haley Dawson. You may remember her as the girl who's missing a hand. She has a 3D printed robotic hand. And she tweeted, or maybe I think somebody tweeted for her, that she really wanted to use that hand to throw out the first pitch at a Major League Baseball game. You know, that's an example to kids that they can achieve their dreams or whatever. And a bunch of teams stepped up to the plate, and she threw out first pitches at a lot of stadiums across baseball this year, including... In Houston, in a World Series game for the Astros, she was brought on board to throw out a first pitch. And uh, you can see she had a great time with it. It was uh, Baseball did a great job stepping up to the yeah. plate and inviting her to several games. So Haley Dawson throwing out a bunch of first pitches this year was my number three good story. Yeah, I remember you bringing that up earlier in the year. That, I think, might have been one of your you like that throughout the year. I'm pretty sure it was, I, yeah. I, my second best sports story also involves Houston. You mentioned it, uh, the Houston Astros winning the World Series. I'm not on board with the idea that because Houston suffered through a hurricane that they somehow deserve a World Series. Mm-hmm. But it is nice. And the Astros lifted the city's spirits and winning their first ever World Series title and some great playoff games and mm-hmm. memories against the Yankees and the Dodgers. Not so much Boston, because they just sort of train-rolled them. But Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, Houston winning the World Series is my second-best sports story of the year. I think Houston just totally boat-racing the Red Sox might have been even better than them finally winning a World <laughs> Series, to be honest. But my number two good story for the year, I just mentioned it last week, it's Cole Hamels, Texas Rangers starting pitcher. Yeah, there it is. Donating ten a $10 million mansion to a children's charity that provides camps and and uh, housing for children uh it's a great thing to do and i think what we've established so far is if you do something great for uh underprivileged children you're going to end up on our show but that's my number two good story for the year for me the number one the best sports story of the year was jj watt raising 37 million dollars for the houston flood relief in the aftermath of hurricane harvey's devastation on that area Watt used Twitter 
it, it posted these series of videos encouraging people to donate, and man, it just snowballed to the point of $37 million. And though due to an early season injury, he didn't make much of an impact that he wanted on the field, I'll tell you that he made an impact in this community, mm-hmm. though, this year. That's for sure. That's my top sports story of the year. What about you? That's also my number one story for the year. J.J. Watt doing tremendous things. And his goal originally was nowhere near that much money, but it just it snowballed and kept going and kept going. And props to him and props to the people of Houston and the surrounding communities that donated that money and really made a huge difference for the city. We've listed our good. We've listed our bad, giving you our top three in each category. Now let's pick an ugly. I'll tell you, listing the good was a lot more fun than listing the bad. And mm-hmm. uh, listing the ugly is just not a, a nice thing. There could only be one. I'll tell you, Zach, um, the ugliest thing for me, I'm not even going to play the sound clip because it's just the president of USA Gymnastics resigns under the sexual abuse scandal. Steve Penny resigned, pressure after allegations that former team doctor Larry Nassar took advantage and abused numerous women associated with the gymnastics program. Reports are that Penny, as well as coaches Bella and Martha Caroli, had knowledge, quote, had, this is in the, uh, the legal papers, the accusation, the court, paper, court filing, I guess it is, quote, had knowledge of his inappropriate conduct and molestations committed by Nasser before he before and during his employment, yet chose to allow him to remain unsupervised where he's sexually abused plaintiff. I tell you, that's the ugliest story for me. I agree. Um, we put our lists together separate of each other. We didn't compare notes till just recently, but I have the same one as you. That whole scandal is um it's it's disturbing yeah it is it's terrible and you feel so bad for these poor girls you know young teenage girls that you know they, their whole dream that they've been working towards their whole lives is to be in the olympics and here you have this guy molesting you and you're afraid to speak out because it might endanger the dream that you've been working towards your whole life and to be in that situation is just heartbreaking so that that has to in my mind be the worst story of the year Matthew chapter 18, verses 4 through 6 says, Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. This is, of course, Jesus speaking. Verse 6 says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus uses the illustration of a child on how much he cares for each one to talk about what it takes to get to heaven. He says we must humble ourselves as a child. We need to look to our heavenly father to provide for us, which he has in the cross of Jesus Christ. If only we believe and seek forgiveness as, you know, a misbehaving child would from his, from his parent. But there's also a significant warning to those who would interfere with that relationship and cause them to stumble. It would be better for him to have a have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. These young gymnasts, you said it, Zach. These they're really just children, and for those in authority to take advantage of them is horrifying. But for those who cover up such an awful crime, it's equally as shameful. For me, again, we agree that's the ugliest sports story from this past year. Those are our opinions. Nothing special about our opinions other than we have a radio show and most of you listening do not. (laughs) But your thoughts are equally as important. 
They may not be as good. I don't know. Unless they're probably better. <laughs> they, they could be. We don't know. But we'd be interested to hear your thoughts and how you'd rank them. You can tweet at us at BTG Program, or you can give us a call. Leave you leave your comments on our studio line, which is 585-431-1202. Once again, it's 585-431-1202. You can just leave it on our line. Nobody's going to answer that phone. You're just going to get a recording because we don't want to talk to you, I guess. <laughs> I don't know the real reason for that. We're going to take a short break, let you hear from some of the folks who make this program possible. You're listening to Benson and Barletta on the Beyond the Game program. Here's the Red Hawks recap for this week, brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. The college is still in the midst of the holiday break, so the campus is, of course, relatively quiet. But I'll take this opportunity to tell you that the men's and women's basketball teams will both return home on Saturday, January 6th, for a doubleheader against Damon College. This is a great chance to see the only D2 college basketball program in Rochester and cheer on both the men's and women's Red Hawks teams in person at the Baller Athletic Center at Roberts Wesleyan College. The women will tip off at 2, followed by the men at 4. Again, that's Saturday, January 6th. Keep up with all the happenings surrounding Roberts Wesleyan Athletics at their website, robertsredhawks.com. Get scores, highlights, and more. Or follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Redhawks Recap presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA national championship appearances and 96 student athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. Mixing sports with faith. You've heard it said that losing creates certain environments, just as winning does. When a team is winning, everybody's happy. But when a team is losing, there's pressure, there's discontentment. The locker room is sort of like a powder keg, which the smallest of sparks creates an explosion. I think, though, for me, losing doesn't create those situations or that environment, but instead it acts like a mirror, which reveals characteristics and problems which which are really already there. In the same way, winning doesn't always create happiness, but it masks those same problems. My New York Giants, Zach, have had, oh my goodness, they've had a horrible season. It's and going awesome. into the final week, man, it's been bad. Yeah. You're going to be glad it's almost over. I I, am. Yeah. Going into the final week of the season, they've won only two games. And to make make it even worse, seemingly making it worse, consider how high the expectations were. Many had thought about the Giants as a playoff team. Mm -hmm. Some even thought perhaps a Super Bowl. That just makes this season that much more difficult. Not to pick on the Cleveland Browns. But nobody expected much of them. You know, so the fact that they still haven't won a game can't be fun for the players, can't be fun for the fans. 
but you weren't expecting that much. Right. The New York Jets, they have kind of the opposite situation. They head into this season, or head into this week, excuse me, at 5-10, and 10, and there's some optimism there. They've got five stinking wins. They've lost twice as many as they've won, and yet they're optimistic. Why? Because some wondered if they'd win even one football game. Mm-hmm. To them, five feels pretty stinking good. But the Giants didn't even come close to sniffing a playoff spot. Instead, they find a pretty decent consolation prize that they'll have a nice draft pick, nice high draft position, uh, hopefully be able to turn things around pretty quickly. They still have a lot of talent on the team, much of whom suffered injuries this season and added to the Giants' struggles. But injuries aren't the whole story here. There is a problem on the Giants, and losing is bringing some of those to the surface. They fired their coach. They fired their GM mid-season, or at least into the season. I guess it was beyond the midway point, but that's not typical of the New York Giants. There also appears to be some discipline issues, or at least a lack of control somewhere in the system. Much is made of Odell Beckham Jr. style and of his behavior. He doesn't fit the typical Giants mold, if there is such a thing. For this weekend's game against the Redskins, the Giants have suspended troublesome cornerback Eli Apple for what they're calling conduct detrimental to the team. Apple is now the third, the third defensive back for the Giants to be suspended this season. He joins uh, Janaris Jenkins and Dominique Rogers-Cromartie. The Giants are saying there is a, quote, pattern of behavior that led to Apple's suspension for Week 17. And apparently the last draw was an argument in which he got into with cornerbacks coach Tim Walton after Apple refused to practice with the scout team. Not to make too much of comparisons. But that was something Eli Manning did when he was benched in favor of Geno Smith. I mean, an accomplished veteran. If a two-time Super Bowl MVP, Eli Manning, can do it, I would think Apple should be able to do it also. Mm -hmm. But as I said, this is the third defensive back suspended this season. The Giants have a problem. Uh, And I think they would need to find out if perhaps this particular problem is a result of a bad apple. No, really, no pun intended. (laughs) Sure. Is, Is he making the rest of this bunch rotten? Or is there a leadership problem, some type of communication problem, perhaps among the coaching staff? And certainly we can't know for sure. Two of the litmus tests kind of that I like to apply when examining a problem are are sort of both in play here. For one, if I'm having a problem, say with a number of different people, I have to do a little self-check and say, well, is the problem me? Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps these coaches, they've had three different players suspended. Maybe the coaches need to say, hey, look, am I part of the problem here? But at the same time, if there's, a, if there's a history of issues, as there seems to be with Eli Apple, then maybe he needs to do the self-check and the team needs to work to find out if they can get him some help if he needs it. So perhaps maybe this long losing season the Giants are going through has revealed that there's more than one problem. Losing is the spark that is causing this powder keg to blow. And, of course, this isn't really a big deal for the Giants to lose Apple. Sure, he was their first-round pick prior to last season. I think he was a top-ten pick. Maybe what did they pick? Nine, ten, eleven, he somewhere He would have been number ten, actually. But in his second season, the Giants had made him inactive for four consecutive games. And last week, he only played on special teams. In a radio interview this week, Giants Pro Bowl safety Landon Collins referred to Apple as a cancer. 
though he didn't actually use his name, instead saying bat first pick. Collins later apologized and said via Twitter, quote, met with Coach Spags and Eli this morning, and I apologize for the things I said yesterday. I never stopped supporting my brother slash teammate Eli and the rest of my teammates as we move forward. Just want him to know that I'm always here for him. Classy move by Landon Collins. Collins told the media that he has had several conversations with Apple about his issues, about his issues, about his issues and handling himself in a professional manner, though Apple denies those conversations ever occurred. Collins has also said in the past that Apple needs to grow up, and that would seem pretty clear after his unnecessarily lewd comments about needing to go to the bathroom after reporters asked him about Collins' apology. I, he was just vulgar. There are reports that part of Apple's problems and a big reason things have changed so dramatically for him from last season are due to family problems. His half-brother, Dane Blackson, said that a falling out with his stepfather, Tim Apple, is having an adverse effect on Eli. The Giants have problems for sure, and the difficult season is bringing underlying issues to light. There are reports that Giants will likely cut Apple and that he'll play somewhere else next season, and I hope that doesn't happen. He's a talented player, and if what his half-brother is saying is accurate, then don't you think he's just crying out for help? Mm -hmm. You know, Perhaps Collins tried to help. Perhaps the Giants have tried. Obviously, I don't know, but Apple has some burden here in getting and accepting help to get through his struggles. In the normal course of life, we deal with a number of problems. There are times of problems we face that they're fairly insignificant, but yet they're still problems. Not to say they aren't important, but when compared to problems we face that face at other times in our lives, they're not nearly as critical. Those times we face more serious problems, well, they can change the course of our lives. And Eli Apple may be in one of those situations right now, and it could change the path of his life. Should he get cut, traded, or you know, if he's not able to get this get control of this situation, it's important to remember that God is always there for us. When we go through times like this, when we go through struggles in our life, and there are numerous places in the Bible we're told that he will never leave us. Deuteronomy 36, or 31, verse 6, and again, two verses later in verse 8, Joshua 1, 9, Hebrews 13, 5. Over and over, we hear God will not leave us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. God is there for us, but we need to know enough to go to him. We need to do a self-evaluation and see that we have a need. Looking into a mirror and scrutinizing ourselves to come to a place where we are humble enough to get help, to accept the love and compassion that he offers. But too often, pride gets in the way. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 say, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. There's a difference between knowing what to do 
and actually doing it. For Christians, there's a difference between knowing what the Bible says and obeying it. Bible scholar David Guzik says, a healthy person looks in the mirror to do something, not just to admire the image. Even so, a healthy Christian looks into God's word to do something about it, not just store up facts that they won't use. When you see a history of problems in your life, seek out help. When you're on one of those paths like Eli Apple appears to be on, go to God for wisdom in determining what you need. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There is a difference, as I said, between knowing and doing. In Jesus' time, people heard teachers, but when they were committed enough to apply what they learned and let that teacher mentor them to follow them, well, then they were disciples. And that's what Jesus is saying to his followers. Teach others. Make disciples. Don't just give them knowledge, but show them how that knowledge changes their lives. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you committed to observing all that Jesus has taught and commanded? The Bible says that he's the only way to heaven. John fourteen six says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the only way because Jesus is the only one who lived a life without sin, but then gave that life to pay for the sins of everyone else. He did that because, as I said, God will not leave you. And he has provided a way for your sins to be forgiven and for you to spend an eternity in heaven with him. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But you need to realize you have a need. You need to look in that mirror of self-evaluation and see that you are a sinner and are lost in need of salvation. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again three days later to defeat death. Do you believe that? Will you seek the help you need and ask God to forgive you of your sins? John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Because of sin, there's nothing we can do on our own to get to heaven or to be forgiven by God of our sin. It is only the love and grace of God that this free gift of eternal life is made possible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're all sinners. We're all in need of God's grace and forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 1.9. I want to encourage you, talk to God. Tell him that you know you're a sinner. Tell him you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again to pay for your sins. Start a new life. Repent from sin. Seek after God. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, 
resulting in salvation. You can visit our website if you need more information about that on what it means to be a Christian, how to become a Christian. It's btgprogram.com. If you would like prayer, a little encouragement, send us a note. You can reach out to us through that same website, btgprogram.com. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play, or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. A friend of mine had a birthday this past week. Made me think of it when you played that Stevie Wonder bumper. So I sent him a picture of Stevie Wonder and said, I won't be seeing you this weekend, but have a happy birthday. <laughs> btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. While the Beyond the Game program is recorded in the BTG studio in Rochester, New York, the podcast is heard all across this great nation and even in places around the globe. One of those places that it was downloaded this past week is Graysonville, Maryland, Queen Anne's County, Maryland. That's where Hall of Famer Jimmy Fox was born. Wow. I don't know if it was actually in Graysonville, but I know he's from Queen Anne's County, Maryland. Wherever you may be listening from today, we thank you for making us part of your day. To get the podcast, visit our website, find us on iTunes, your favorite podcast source. You can find us there. Click subscribe. And by the way, take a moment, leave us a review. We'd love to know what to think. All right, Zach, take it away with this week's shenanigans statements. All right, number one, Skip Bayless is correct. I never thought I would say those words all together. <laughs> Skip Bayless is correct that Kevin Durant has surpre- surpassed LeBron James as the best player in the NBA. No, shenanigans. He <laughs> has not. Although that case can be made. And, of course, Durant is one of the great players in the game. Mm-hmm. I tell you, if you watch that Christmas Day, that was a great game. Yeah. And LeBron remains the best player on this planet. Uh, but the bell curve of Durant's career is obviously going in one direction, and you would think it'd be going the other way for LeBron. And at some point, they're going to intersect. But mm-hmm. LeBron's career is amazing. Yeah. To consider that, it's been 15 years now, and most guys who play that long are 
not the players they once were. You can mm-hmm. think that he came in with guys like Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony and look at where they are and how they compare to where he is. You know, Skip Bayless's sports talks Spice Girls to me. <laughs> Put together simply for marketing. He mm-hmm. says things, he debates points simply for the reaction and the ratings, and obviously it's successful. So were the Spice Girls. But the talent really is in the management and not the person in front of the microphone. Yeah. You know, that's just my opinion. But no, I, I don't think so. LeBron is still the man. He's changed teams. He's changed teammates. He's changed hairlines, but he has been consistently dominant. LeBron James. Um, <laughs> no, I say shenanigans as well. Uh, look, only one of those two players draws comparisons to Michael Jordan. It's LeBron James. He's got a lot more minutes played this year than Durant. He's got a lot more points than Durant. He's still the much better player. Agreed. Number two, the New York Yankees have been in trade talks with the Pittsburgh Pirates about starting pitcher Garrett Cole and have made trade offers for the Tampa Bay Rays' Chris Archer and the Detroit Tigers' Michael Fulmer. So truth or shenanigans, the Yankees will acquire a starting pitcher. I agree. I think they will. I, I, I don't think they're in any hurry to do it. They may even open spring training and do it then. I don't know. But I think they want that extra security, that insurance piece. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think they have a pretty good rotation that they can win with. Yeah. Tanaka and Severino both can be number ones. Sonny Gray then would be a great number three. CeCe's a better than average number four. And slotting in Jordan Montgomery at number five, I think that's pretty good rotation. Yeah. And they have a number of young guys developing who may compete as well. I, I don't think the Yankees have to do something, but I think it's clear they're trying to, mm-hmm. to do something. And if the price is right, I think they will. But they have, they have the ability to be patient here. Yeah, I agree. I think they will add a starting pitcher. But the key thing is something that you pointed out, and you said that they will be patient because they don't have to make the move, and that's the Brian Cashman style, is to just stay lurking in the weeds at the periphery and wait until the price comes down to where you want to get involved. Right. Let teams come crawling to him being the little slugs that they are. They're not the (laughs) Yankees. So I agree. I think they will add a starting pitcher, but it will be on their terms and in their timing. Number three, we asked last week whether the Phillies would be a surprise playoff team next season. Switching over to the American League, the LA Angels of Anaheim have re-signed Justin Upton, added Shohei Otani, Zach Cozart, and Ian Kinsler already this offseason, and they may not be done shopping, so truth or shenanigans, the Angels are a playoff team in 2018. What do you say? I think so. They're either going to be in the playoffs or they're going to be in the hunt right up until the playoffs. Uh, They've got a good core. This will be the best lineup, I think, that... Mike Trout's ever been a part of. Uh, they still have Albert Pujols, depending on how many at-bats they can get out of him. That lineup is long and deep, and, you know, uh, they've got a lot of young pitchers, good, talented young pitchers that are coming back from injuries. I think that this Angels team, if all breaks right for them, they could be a very good baseball team this year. Yeah, I agree. A playoff team for 2018, I think. So, look, they're not going to dethrone Houston for the division title but they can certainly be one of the two wildcard teams. And I would think that the competition will either be New York or Boston. Whoever doesn't win the division is mm-hmm. probably going to be looking at a wild card. But I think that's about it. I mean, is Minnesota really the team we saw last year? Is Seattle or Texas as deep uh, as the Angels now appear to be? I don't think so. The wild card is just that, a wild card. I think, as you said, it'll be a race right up to the finish, but... I can see the Angels taking one of those two spots. And let's not forget, they played extremely well at times last season. Mm -hmm. And that's being without the additions that they've made. 
number four, Jason Garrett will still be the Dallas Cowboys head coach next season. Who cares? <laughs> no, I agree. Following sports for as long as I have, there are, of course, surprises every now and again. But what's become clear is that where there's smoke, there's typically fire. And where there is talk and rumors, there's usually action. We've been hearing rumors of Jason Garrett's last stand in Dallas for some time. Jerry Jones has come out annually in defense of his guy. Uh, but after missing the playoffs this year, I, I got to wonder if uh, Jones's patience with Garrett has worn out, and I think they probably have. I think so, too. I just think if you look at the Cowboys over the course of the season, when things haven't gone their way, he just has not seemed to have been able to make the adjustment in-game that he needs to make. I think of that game against the Falcons where um, I'm drawing a blank now, but one of the Falcons defenders racked up seven sacks in the game because Tyron Smith, the Cowboys' left tackle, was out. And not once in that game did Jason Garrett go, you know, I should put a tight end over there to help with the blocking or a running back to chip away or something. And I just saw that and I was like, this is a guy who can't even make the simple, easy adjustment in game. I just don't think he's that good of a head coach. And I think eventually Jerry Jones figures that out. Last but not least, your New York Giants seem likely to pick second overall in the 2018 NFL draft. So truth or shenanigans, the Giants will draft one of the top quarterbacks at number two. Well, assuming they finish there, there is mm -hmm. a possibility they could slip to number three, but doesn't seem likely. I agree they will. I think they'd be crazy not to. It's as if the stars are aligned. Eli Manning has been legendary for the Giants, but he's clearly at the end of his career, mm -hmm. of his great career, I should say. They need a transition plan. And how often do teams find themselves with a high draft pick in a quarterback deep draft at such a time? And this draft is said to be not just quarterback deep, but the top three or top two at least franchise-type guys. Mm -hmm. They need help at other positions. And it's quarterback deep, but it's also offensive tackle deep. And I could see the Giants doing that. They've had a tendency to do that in the past. But I do think that when you're sitting at number two and you need a quarterback to replace a legend, they have to take advantage of the opportunity. You don't get too many shots at franchise quarterbacks. You don't. So, And I know Giants love to draft offensive tackles and with good reason, but no, I agree. Yeah. They will. The problem is they've got to draft good offensive tackles. That, that, that's been the, yeah. their bugaboo so far. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think you know Davis Webb used a third-round pick, but you still haven't gotten him into games to see what he is yet. You know, now he's going to be active this week, so maybe they finally see a little bit. But if he plays one half of football in Week 17, does that tell you what you need to know about him for the future? And if you're picking at number two and a Josh Rosen or a Sam Darnold is there, if you're the Giants, how do you not pull the trigger on that? So I 100% believe they will take a quarterback. Yeah, and I know he was injured this year, but I like that kid out in Wyoming. What, Josh Allen? Josh Allen, yeah. yeah I Boy, I like the way he plays. He would be a perfect pick for them, too, because he's a guy that's going to need to sit behind a veteran to start his career. And Eli's there at least one more year. Which so. is what I'd like to see. I'd like mm -hmm. to see Eli have that retirement tour season, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to go out on a 2-14 and 14 team. Where you got benched to end your streak and everything. Yeah, that's not yeah, the way you want to finish. No, I think I'd love to see him have one more go. And a guy sitting behind him learning the ropes, I think, is ideal. Hey, we're coming up on the end of the hour, so let's move right along. Ephesians 4.32 says, In everything I showed you, 
that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. San Antonio Spurs coach Greg Popovich, who I've been critical of at times, gave a simple explanation this past week for why he is passionate about being charitable. Quote, because we're rich as heck, he did not say heck, and we don't (laughs) need it all and other people need it. You're a, a donkey. He didn't say donkey. If you don't give it. It's pretty simple. His his language is colorful. You get what I'm saying here. His opinions are strong for sure, but his intentions are good and his point is well taken. Popovich works with a number of charities already. He He's also currently trying to help raise proceeds to benefit relief programs in Haiti as well as the U.S., Caribbean, Puerto Rico, others. Greg Popovich, his charitable attitude is what I like. You like that? This week. You like What I liked this week was a story involving former Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel, who I had hoped we would never talk about on this show again, but he was recently reinstated or received permission to sign with a team in the CFL. You hope that, you know, a kid with as much talent as he's, as he's got, uh, can get a chance to get his life and career back on track in Canada. So best of luck to Johnny Manziel in Canada. Maybe we will see him again. Yeah, I I love to see guys get second chances. I better yet, I love to see guys making the most of second chances. This has been the Beyond the Game program. If you want to more know more about our program, visit our website btgprogram.com. You'll find information about the program, pictures of Zach, past broadcast, detailed information about how to be a believer in Jesus Christ and knowing him as your savior. And you can also make a donation to this radio ministry. Look, the program is listener-supported. We need the support of listeners like you to be able to bring the gospel to listeners all around the world. And this radio program does go all around the world through Sports Talk Radio. Prayerfully consider being a financial supporter of this ministry, won't you? Our hope for all of you is that you have a safe and happy new year and that 2018 finds you growing closer to Jesus than ever before. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, We'll be back together again next week, right here at the same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. And this year. 